0: So there's this guy. He was kind of a jerk to me. So the other day I jumped him in the parking lot and I slammed his stupid ass insecure face right into the pavement. Not going to lie. Felt pretty good. Hi and welcome to Still Pretty, a vlog and podcast about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. For those of you watching the vlog on YouTube, hey, great to have you here. For those of you listening to the podcast, I just waved at the vlog people and right now I'm waving at you too. I'm story expert Lonnie Diane Rich of Chipperish Media, and we are here today to talk about Help, the fourth episode of Season 7. Help aired on October fifteenth, two 2002, and was written by Rebecca Rand Kirshner, with Rebecca Rand Kirshner as Executive Story Editor and Drew Z. Greenberg as Story Editor. This episode was directed by Rick Rosenthal, who also directed the Season 6 episode, Normal Again. Help is a strange episode. It's both written and directed slightly outside of the Buffy house style, but the concept of a house style for Buffy is ceasing to have much meaning as we move into a new space for the show and it evolves into something different. Help functions more like procedural, an episode of Veronica Mars or Law and Order, as we follow our heroes trying to solve a mystery, chasing red herrings down blind alleys as the clock ticks, only instead of trying to solve a murder, they're trying to prevent one. And while the episode is proceeding, it's also dabbling in philosophy, asking questions and giving complex answers that might not be answers at all. After all, the value of philosophy isn't the answer itself, but how you arrive at it, the twists and turns through a labyrinth of possibility until you find yourself at something that you think might be a terminus, or it might just be another path back into the heart of the puzzle. All right, let's get into the weeds. In help, a student named Cassie Newton tells Buffy that she's going to die and that Buffy can't do anything to stop it. I know you'll try to help. Cassie, I don't understand what you're saying. But you can't, okay? Willow visits Tara's grave, and even people who are watching different TV shows burst into uncontrollable tears. That's me. Buffy enlists Xander, Willow, and Spike to help while Dawn befriends Cassie to do some undercover sleuthing. Guys, I'm telling you, I'm liking Mike Helgenberg for the perp. An entitled douchebag named Peter tries to sacrifice Cassie to a demon on the promise of infinite riches. And the only flaw in this episode is that the demon bites him in the shoulder and not in the ass. Although possibly that might have been chew on the nose. Hit me! Spike remains tormented in the dark bowels of the school basement, wrestling with his past and possibly other things. Don't let him hurt the girl. Despite being saved from Douche Peter and his excessively flammable demon, Cassie falls to an undiagnosed heart condition, thus presenting a Calvinist view of predestination and severely bumming everyone out. Then she was going to die no matter what, wasn't she? It didn't matter what you did. And the next day, Buffy goes back to work. Because that's what a hero does. We open this episode with a quick cold open that doesn't have much of anything to do with anything else aside from it being another night on the job for our Scoobies. It also feels a bit like a nod to the past with Buffy bringing along Xander and Dawn to stake out a funeral home. We haven't spent much time in funeral homes or morgues, not since the early seasons, and it feels less like a random moment and more like a deliberate callback. Am I giving it too much credit? Maybe. We go from there into Buffy at work, settling into her counselor position, and for someone who has had very little training and only one psychology course, which was taught by a power-mad fish-wifey Buffy's doing a pretty good job. We get a lovely little montage of random kids, some of which aren't quite as random as they seem, and then we get to Cassie, who tells Buffy that she's going to die on Friday and that Buffy can't save her. Buffy, being of the John Locke school of don't-tell-me-what-I-can't-do, immediately goes about putting all her energy and resources into saving Cassie, which leads us to poetry. But dirt waits for no woman, and coins will buy no time. I hear the chatter of the bugs, it's they alone will feast. As I dig into this topic, let me say up front that I am completely biased. I am not a fan of poetry. Sometimes it can be great. I like Dunn, I like Shakespeare, and I especially like Dorothy Parker, but she's kind of a snarky poet, so I'm not sure that's much of a defense for me. I find poetry to be self-indulgent and awkward, so those of you who love it, please love it enough to make up for those of us who don't love it so that we may slink away without the poet suffering for it, because I don't think there's any courage quite like a poet's courage. Even bad poetry lacks a safe space where you can hide and just blend in. The purpose of poetry is to boil down human truth to its essence and then express as much of that truth in as few words as possible. It's basically the liquid heroine of art forms. It goes straight into the vein and it's frickin' powerful. And when it's written in a genuine spirit, it can be uncomfortably weird and vulnerable and raw. That may be why I don't like it. It makes me uncomfortable in a way that often makes the meaning behind it inaccessible to me. There's nothing harder in the world to do well than poetry, and nothing easier to do really badly, which is why poets are the bravest people around. So thank you, poetry lovers, for loving it enough to make up for the fact that I just can't. Please continue to do so, and I will love help in Season 7 for those who can't do that. So in this episode, I gotta be honest, the poetry makes me twitch a little. Aesthetically, speaking to the tormented soul of a 16-year-old girl facing her own mortality, I think it actually works pretty well. It just makes me cringe as all. It's fine. A girl could die. While there's a lot about help that I really like, I think my favorite part is the callback to Prophecy Girl. Now, I think this is deliberate, but it's so subtle that I can't be sure. What do you think? Believe me, I want to be here, do things. I want to graduate from high school, and I want to go to the stupid winter formal. Giles, I'm 16 years old. I don't want to die. Maybe it's on purpose, maybe it's not. But death of the author, baby, I see a connection, and it's kind of awesome. Of course Buffy identifies with this girl. She's 16, she's fated to die, and she doesn't want to. And here we are in season seven, referencing the most powerful moment of season one, weaving strands from the past into the fabric of the present. We do this throughout season seven, and I don't know... I don't think it's my imagination. I think it's purposeful, and I think season seven is possibly the most purposeful season of Buffy we've had, with maybe the exception of season five. I think it's pretty damn awesome. Friday I'm gonna die. Some things I just know, I, I don't know how, I just do. Any story about precognition instantly brings up the question of fate, of a set way of things, an unalterable future. Even though Buffy and the gang manage to save Cassie, she dies anyway, of an undiagnosed heart condition. So she was meant to die at that moment in time, no matter what. But what came first, the fate or the vision? When Peter is holding the meat cleaver to Cassie's neck like a ritualistic drama queen, he says that they chose her because she was all dark and suicidal. But she wasn't suicidal. She started contemplating her own death when she had the vision of the future, in which these guys had already chosen her. It's like an Ouroboros of destiny. The snake eats its own tail in a circle, and the beginning and the end blend together. And I know, I probably just pronounced Ouroboros wrong. Go ahead and tweet me. There's also the question, did they change the future? Cassie saw the events of her death, the coins, the date, but she didn't seem to know exactly how she would die. She said that she knew that Buffy would try to help, but Buffy wouldn't have if Cassie hadn't told her about it. So again, Ouroboros. Was Cassie going to die by the hands of Peter and his demon raising cohorts, or was she just going to have that experience right before the heart condition got her? And the connection to the coins and the ritual were just coincidence. Buffy was always going to try to save her, and Buffy was never going to be able to save her. There's an episode in the second season of Angel, Epiphany, in which Angel makes the ultimate philosophical statement about the show. And even though it's a very Angel thing, I think it fits in well here. There's no grand plan, no big win. You seem kind of chipper about that. Well, I guess I kind of worked it out. If there's no great glorious end to all this, if nothing we do matters. And all that matters is what we do. And at the end of the episode, when Buffy asks, what do you do when you know you can't help? And the very next shot is her going back to work and preparing to do what she can. It's a nice reinforcement of that general theme. Because when it comes down to it, what else are you going to do? Nothing? It's not an option. Spike? Here to help. No hurting the girl. I'm tired. I'll take care of this. Spike has been complicated and weird throughout Season 7. Some of it is defensible by his circumstance, and some of it is a little over the line, but even though he's only briefly in this episode, his scenes are so powerful. First in the basement with Buffy, when he expresses his self-loathing physically. Spike, stop it! What did you do? I hurt you, Buffy. And I will pay. I am paying because I hurt the girl. And later, when he suffers through the effects of his chip as he takes down the entitled douchebag. Are you a bad man? presence in this episode is simple and powerful, turning his torment, his badness, toward the rescue of an innocent, bearing the pain of his chip in order to save her. For someone who has taken such gleeful delight in violence in the past, it's important that here, violence is a toll he must pay in order to help so that no one hurts the girl. He understands violence in a way that he didn't before. It's not simple anymore. It's not just fire and kineticism. It's more than an exercise of bloody acrobatics. For every swing thrown, one is received. And for the first time, we see Spike feeling the weight of that receipt, taking responsibility for it, paying for violence with his own physical pain in order to save someone he has literally never even seen before. Because he, like Buffy, sees the Buffy in this girl. One girl in all the world. And yet for Spike, she is every girl. She's the only girl. We can't know what's going to happen, and we can't search their brains. We just... We just do what we can. It's not enough. And now for my defense of season seven. A couple of weeks ago in Beneath You, I gave a point to the season seven haters. That was not a great episode. But help is legit, y'all. Help is on my side. Now, I know, help is different. It's not living to the letter of Buffy, but rather expanding the spirit of Buffy. And I can see how some people could be put off by this. Where is my show? The show that I'm used to. Sometimes change and experimentation can go south on you. It's why I really don't like the season four finale, Restless. It's just not Buffy to me. It felt weird and self-indulgent, kind of like poetry. Help doesn't feel weird and self-indulgent to me. It feels like it's deliberately reaching towards something, living and working within very clear, if very different boundaries, transforming from a very cool caterpillar into an unexpected but beautiful butterfly, still holding the same spirit but doing different things, living a different life. See? I can be poetic, too. Nah, I really can't. That'll do it for today. Remember to visit ChipperishMedia at Chipperish.com for more great podcasts. And speaking of great podcasts, Still Dead, the Angel podcast, will start production when we hit our next stretch goal on Patreon. Visit Patreon.com Chipperish for more information. All right, I have a few spoilery thoughts from the episode that I want to hit on, so if you've already seen all of Season 7, hang on after the show credits and we're going to talk for a bit. For everyone else, I'll see you next time with my thoughts on Season 7, Episode 5, Selfless. Until then, stay pretty. Still Pretty is a Chipperish Media production and is entirely patron-supported. To find out how you can keep us in production, visit patreon.com chipperish. I haven't been doing spoilers since I started Still Pretty, but this episode has some lovely things that I wanted to highlight. First, in the cold open, the older woman vampire. It's my headcanon that this is the lady Spike killed to get the house where he will be burying the bodies of the other vamps he's siring around town. We never get confirmation on that, but it's rare to see an older vampire just turned. The detail feels deliberate to me. What do you think? She looks peaceful. I am not peaceful. That I can help with. (laughs) And when we get Spike in the basement, we get this bit. If I don't move, if I don't think, if I don't listen to the voices, then I won't hurt much. Now, in the moment, you take it to mean that he won't feel the emotional hurt of what he's done. But what if he knows what's going on on some level? What if it means he won't hurt others much? But my favorite spoilery part of this scene is the surprise in his eyes when he realizes that Buffy isn't the non-corporeal first messing with him, but is actually Buffy. She touches him and his eyes focus on her in this masked surprise that is easy to miss and yet blends in so beautifully with the rest of the season. And it makes sense that in an episode about precognition, we'd end up with Cassie telling Spike that Buffy will tell him. What she will tell him is unclear at this point, but those of us who have seen all of season seven know that she tells him she loves him. So Spike's bewilderment as he looks at Cassie is even more heartbreaking, because he can't conceive of what Cassie is talking about. In a million years, it would never occur to him that Buffy would love him. This is also the episode where we first see Sarah Hagen, who will play Amanda, and we will later discover that she's a potential in episode 12, Potential. Now I love Sarah Hagen for a lot of reasons, and one of them is superficial. I like that she seems real. She's beautiful and smart and capable, but unconventionally so. Now, I know how sexist the idea of unconventional beauty is because it always seems like a backhanded way of saying weird looking, and it's also something that we say about women and never about men, because men have always been allowed to be unconventional in their looks, and it didn't matter. Charm, intelligence, wit, these qualities have always been valued in men and hardly valued at all in women. But here's the thing. It's terroir, which I can't pronounce because it's French, but whatever. What it means, grapes carry the flavor of the ground that they grow in. And if you're an American like me, we have grown up in racist, sexist ground, and so has our media. We have to acknowledge it first and then fix it, bit by back-breaking bit. I like that Sarah Hagen's unconventional beauty is represented here, and that those of us who are unconventional in our beauty can see ourselves in a show like Buffy. Diversity and representation is a war happening on a thousand fronts, and if I have to traipse into sexist territory in order to point out that I'm appreciative of the celebration of a person and character who has different qualities from what we usually see, then okay, I'll do it. Of course, our only prominent black character is still required to be uncommonly beautiful. And maybe it's wrong of me to love and appreciate how beautiful he is. But he's not just pretty, guys. Just pretty is boring, and I have no time for that. D.B. Woodside is also smart and strong and tough and charming, and you can see all of that in addition to the pretty. And honestly, I'm just glad we're getting some diversity this season, even though our single Asian representation is stereotyped and comedy-muled. But that's a complaint for later on baby steps. No one gets anywhere without taking baby steps first. And now my spoiler section just went off on a wild tangent, but hey, apparently it was always predestined that I would do this, so it's not my fault, right? Isn't that how it works? Fucking Calvin. See you later, guys.